A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Andy Zimmerman. He's back on the show. He was previously on episode 227 when he was CEO of Frog Design. Now he is the CEO of Journey, a company that he has recently formed earlier this year through the help of some private equity backing funding and a number of acquisitions. On the show today, we're going to talk about Journey. It's an innovation and design consultancy that works across physical, digital, and the virtual landscape. And we also talk about his push into voice and how he thinks voice could be a potential unifier within all of these various customer experience modes and medium. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andy Zimmerman. Andy, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, Alan. It's good to be back. Yeah. Well, one, it's always fun to have repeat guests because we get to go a little deeper in conversation and we get to find out what happened since the last time you were on. But most listeners are probably wondering, where's your fun fact or your interesting story? And I'm going to tell them to just go back and listen to episode 227, where we talked about your stint traveling with the circus. And I'll leave it there. <laughs> so hopefully people will go back and listen to that. But um, I'd love to start off with your book, Journey, which is an Amazon bestseller in the metaphysical fiction genre. 
And I've been listening on Audible the last few weeks and I'm hooked. It's so funny. And and I don't know if you had specific people in mind as you were writing this story, but Steve, the boss, for some reason, maybe it's the the narrator's voice, uh, just reminds me of like Jack Welch or somebody. It's like, it's uncanny. <laughs> For some reason. But anyway, I hear I hear your this is just the first of a trilogy. And so is that true? Tell listeners a little bit more about this book. Sure. Well, Alan, thanks for mentioning it. And uh, just to confuse uh, the listeners, uh, the name of the novel is Journey. And the name of the company we'll probably be talking about is also Journey. But um, the novel came out uh, right at the beginning of COVID. And it's really uh, inspired by true events. So it's not a memoir. It is fiction, but it it does relate to some experiences that I had in my life, uh, fictionalized. And it's about a, a high-tech executive in a company that sounds and looks a lot like Accenture, where I worked for 10 years, called Ascendant, and uh, about this, uh, this person's attempt to get to the top of the company, to work all the politics that you see in a, in a big company like, like Accenture. And in the course of that, he ended up... Uh, through uh, synchronicity, having a spiritual experience in a little village called Glastonbury in England, which is best known for the Glastonbury Music Festival, but is also a kind of uh, center for new age uh, sort of um, spiritual seekers. And uh, the character has a soul reading in Glastonbury, which then begins to change his life and his experiences with his family and at work and all in a good way but also having some comic elements to it as he becomes a spiritual kind of person operating in the tough tech world, trying, still trying to get to the top. It's one of uh, three, three books. I'm, I'm hoping that the second one will come out in the beginning of next year. It's actually all three take place over a 60 year period. And it's really about the building of a metaverse where are humans kind of evolving toward? So it's a personal story, but also built within this story is a more uh, metaphysical type of story, um, hence its uh, metaphysical genre. So hoping the second one comes out uh, soon. And yeah, I just uh, just so happens that uh, after the book came out, well, after the book came out, um, I had an idea for a new company. And actually, I didn't come up with a name, but someone suggested that uh, Journey would be a great name for the company as well. That's awesome. I, we'll get to talk about Journey as well in a, in a moment, the company Journey in a moment. So 60 years, over the course of 60 years, the trilogy takes place. What's the focus of the second book? Is it like the next 20 year period or uh, tell me a little bit more? I, I can't wait. To, to, to yeah. And the second, you mentioned Jack Welsh and actually you'll, you'll see there's a character that appears in the second book that is very much modern modeled on Jack Welsh and actually General Electric for that matter. But what happens is the character Paul, through the spiritual awakening, actually becomes a much more effective uh, business person and uh, does get to the top of his company and then partners with a couple characters that one of which resembles Jack Welsh to kind of conspire to sort of own this new metaphysical digital space they're building. So by sort of controlling all the inputs and outputs, in effect, they control you know, human destiny. And so the second book is about this sort of, uh, Paul gets caught up in this sort of dark conspiracy to sort of take over the world, at least from a digital point of view, and uh, continues to kind of go through, you know, the ups and downs of, of his, um, his um, spiritual seeking as well. 
It sounds fascinating. And it, it truly is a fun listen on Audible. Have you ever thought about turning it into a, a movie or a, a series of any sort? I'd love to. You know, I did have interest from, won't name the person, uh, but the, an individual that was an executive producer for Outlander. And, you know, there there is a bit of this sort of mystical kind of feeling to, to the uh, journey novel. So there was some interest and then it just, you know, didn't get anywhere. And to be honest, I just haven't had a lot of time to, to market the book. And and the new company and so on. But I think I wrote it thinking about movie and television. It is a very visual kind of uh, book and experience. And so, you know, obviously that would be great if, if I could get someone to uh, to back it. Yeah. Well, I know, I know. And, and for some reason, so I was, I was like dreaming of who these people would be as I was listening to the book. And uh, I don't know if Paul is, is, you know, in some ways m- much of yourself, but like I was envisioning uh, George Clooney playing the Paul character <laughs> for some reason. Uh, and maybe it's the up in the air. <laughs> um, that is a strange, I mean, honestly, that's exactly, I mean, obviously, you know, exactly who I was thinking of. You could never get George Clooney. And part of it is the movie up in the air. And there, if you go to my Instagram, I have pictures kind of illustrating parts of the book. And there's one that kind of has a person with a suitcase, uh, like a, a carry on suitcase kind of looking out into space which is kind of the closing scene of up in the air uh, when Clooney goes to the airport. And so that is not, uh, uh, that's exactly the kind of, you know, character and, and person I was thinking of, of course, getting George Clooney for a movie or TV series would be a, a heck of a, uh, accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, George Clooney because I, I uh, kind of reminded you of George Clooney in a way I, I look or something, but you won't Yeah, that's there. exactly what I was thinking, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> or at least George Clooney, if, what it would look like if he didn't have any hair. That, that would be... <laughs> That, that would be fine too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, enough about the book. I, I, I'm really enjoying it. So thank you for, uh, thank you for sharing that with the world too. Um, you've got a, you've got a knack for writing uh, dialogue and, and many other things as well as running, as well as running successful businesses. So, um, you know, last time we talked in the last podcast, we were talking uh, to you, you at that point in time, were CEO of Frog. Uh, the you know notable design company, and now you're on to creating Journey, which you just kind of told us a little bit about. But tell me more about that decision to to leave Frog and and venture out on your own. Sure. Well, Frog is just you know the most amazing, iconic uh, uh, company. Fifty years of, of of designing and launching products from the Sony Walkman and Apple Macintosh to you know reimagining Disney World and the Magic Band and so forth. So, being the CEO of Frog, the fourth CEO of Frog, you know, was quite a privilege for me. But I had been doing it for about seven years. And during that time, we had three different owners because the company that owned us kept being sold to other companies. And I also think uh, philosophically that um, as a CEO of a company, you spend five or six years there, the company's kind of getting whatever benefit you're providing them in terms of your strategic thinking and ideas and personality. And then it's time to move on, partly to give other people the opportunity to kind of move up the ladder and also just to kind of refresh you know, the company, particularly if you're not a founder. I think five or six years is, is, is the right timing to be CEO. So I had a, a number two that made, you know, was my partner, my friend who ran the company with me and uh, he gave him the opportunity to become CEO of Frog. And I moved. And at the same time, I did have this idea in my head of a new kind of company in the sort of innovation and creative space. 
and uh, the company ultimately that was this name Journey. Well, then, so tell us a little bit about Journey. Like, I know kind of what it is, and we'll unpack that a little bit for listeners. But what was the idea behind it? I guess at the very beginning. You know, I kind of what I was seeing out there was that um, most of the customer touch points. I'm talking about the end customer. Um, you know, the end consumer, we're going through some version of change or evolution, or in some cases, new touch points were, were being created that didn't exist before. And so what I wanted to do is create a company, an agency that a brand or, or, or company could come to, to sort of re-examine or rethink what does the customer journey, what's it going to look like in the future and how do we build that future today? So that sort of informed the acquisition strategy I had. So this is this isn't a startup. This is actually with private equity backing. I've gone out and bought companies that are leading agencies in their space. The first three uh, include a company that does interior design and architecture. So reimagining physical space, which of course post pandemic and with digital, you know, the role of physical space is going through a bit of a revolution. Whether it's retail food and bev or hospitality. The second agency specializes in the voice channel, Alexa and Siri, which is, I like to call it the unheard channel, and that it's very powerful yet underutilized. And then the third agency specializes in the metaverse and 3.0. That's a touch point that didn't exist a few years ago, but now is obviously kind of the rage and certainly is going to have a very you know significant impact on customer experience and customer journey. And then I'm looking at additional acquisitions, one of which I hope to announce uh, very shortly. Nice. And in terms of those are the types of things that you're, I guess, the modalities in which that they're creating. So interiors, physical, audio or voice component, and then the metaverse. How do those things come together? And like, do you see yourself as an agency, a consultancy, a advisory firm, a design firm? How, how do you conceptualize it? Yeah, it's a little hard to, and we're somewhere between a consulting firm and an agency. I think a consulting firm in the sense that we do help clients with strategy, with um, education, um, with segmentation of markets and so on. But certainly we have creative studios that actually build things that actually, you know, design and build a spaces or voice experiences or metaverse experiences. So in that sense, we're kind of a creative agency as well. In fact, I'd say the, the headcount and the sort of weighting of, of, of journey is more toward the creative side than the than the traditional consulting side. Maybe 80% of the people are building things, you know, whether virtual or physical. Gotcha. Gotcha. So private equity backed, was it easy to get money as you were going through this process? Well, I must admit it, it was relatively easy. I mean, part of it, I think, I mean, I hesitate because I, it can sound a little bit, I don't know, arrogant or naive or something. But I mean, I think part of it was, you know, I do have a bit of a track record, obviously having run Frog. And before that, I was at Accenture for 10 years, where I was one of the co-founders of Accenture Interactive, now Accenture Song. Um, and then before that, I was at Idea Lab during the dot-com period, you know, where we started up a number of companies. So I did have a bit of a personal, you know, reputation in the industry and also associated with, you know, what's the next new thing, whether it's dot-com or mobile or, or now meta. So that helped. And then I think the, the, a number of private equity firms really loved the idea of this, this next generation agency. And they loved the companies that I had targeted as acquisitions. So to be honest with you, I did have a number of private equity firms willing to to back me. The company I I chose or we chose, the other uh, co-founders and myself, was uh, is a company called Growth Catalyst Partners. 
that special and they specialize in the sort of creative agency, creative services, marketing space. And so that was, I mean, one of the things other than just that we like them personally was the fact that they did specialize in the sector that we're in. But I mean, there's just a lot of, from the private equity side, you know, there's just a lot of money a lot of dry powder out there right now. So I'm not saying that, you know, just anybody can raise any amount of money, but didn't find that to be a, a particularly big problem. And I feel particularly fortunate that the number the, the number of companies that I've approached, both the three that have joined us and and one hopefully in the next couple of weeks, they are very excited about the journey vision. So that's in some ways, I mean, raising the money is relatively easy. Getting the right founders and the right companies to become part of Journey is actually um, just as important. And I'm having, you know, I'm really happy with the uh, response from uh, various founders that basically want to throw their company into the Journey mix and become equity owners in Journey. No, that's awesome. And you've got interior design, architecture, voice, metaverse, something that's coming. Um, but as you look out, are you continuing down the the acquisition pathway, knowing that you've got to fill certain gaps and are those, do you know what those gaps are today, I guess, is a question. Yeah. So certainly the plan is to do more acquisitions. Now, organically this year, we're definitely going to grow high double digits just sort of with organic growth of the four companies together. I don't want to say publicly, but I mean, you know, over 50% growth, let's say, of top and bottom line. So you know, that's very healthy growth by any standards. And uh, on the acquisition side, the areas that we're looking at, and I guess if anyone hears this podcast that knows anyone, we're, we're interested in the immersive design uh, experience. So that's more the, the digital and video kind of skills that obviously can be relevant for both exhibitions and pop-ups, as well as metaverse type of world building. We're interested in um, next-gen social. So you have a lot going on with Reddit and Discord and sort of elements of uh, TikTok. And it's just different than than the, the sort of Facebook sort of world, which is kind of more one-to-many broadcasts. This is much more democratic building of communities. So we're looking at companies that kind of specialize in the building and moderating of those communities, which is a different kind of thing, but very important when you're building out metaverses. We're looking at some gaming studios that have particular skills and platforms that we're interested in, potentially something around um, uh, around public relations, because once again, in the meta 3.0 world, even things like public relations is handled a little bit differently. You know, it's a, a different kind of vibe to it. So if you think about it that way, you have a set of services that combined just other people don't have. And we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to make TV ads and sell sell media. We're not even looking, we're not even trying to do digital, to be honest with you. We're sort of looking at the next generation of the customer journey. And, you know, clients, I mean, we have some amazing brands working with us already and they they seem to like what we can offer and what we how we can support them. I love it. On that note, could you share maybe a couple of examples of the types of projects you guys are working on? Sure. Just taking them in in the previous order I had on the physical side and we can't talk about, you know, a number of them are a little more sensitive, but this company that is I crave, the company that um has become part of Journey. And um, probably, you know, the most famous thing they did, it was almost 20 years ago now, but was a JetBlue terminal in JFK, which was, if you've been there, um, you know, the first terminal that actually incorporated uh, iPads into the customer journey experience um, for ordering of food and so forth. Now that today seems like, well, that's what's a big deal. That's 
every airport, but but this actually was was implemented 20 years ago and you know revolutionized the airport experience. More recently, um, work with a um, a developer who's building a. a very large 20,000 population movie theater experience sphere in Las Vegas, um, designing the, the internal experience of that. And maybe, you know, another example would be a, the, a nightclub in uh, Singapore, which is the largest nightclub in the uh, world, you know, three stories high, which feels and, and, and looks like a metaverse experience, but it's actually a real nightclub. So that's, uh, and then on the voice side, um, we just won a Webby, uh, award for uh, conversational voice experience of the work we did with uh, HBO Max, um, which was a discovery app, not to confuse it with the TV, the discovery, uh, but uh, a discovery app so people could find out more about what's new on HBO Max that they can watch. So that's, uh, we've done work, a lot of work with Warner Music, with uh, the Wall Street Journal, and so on. And then in the metaverse, some of the ones we can talk about are, are people like Ralph Lauren, who, you know, we helped them strategically in the implementation of their first Roblox experience. We're working with one of the largest retailers in the world where we'll be coming out with some really innovative metaverse experiences this fall. So it's hard in the metaverse side. It's probably where we have the most heaviest non-disclosure because there's so many things we're working on that are kind of hush-hush. So those are sort of examples. And then in some cases, we're taking like for one media company where we started out being their voice agency of record. Now we're doing a metaverse for them. Or in another case where we have a metaverse experience, we're introducing um, voice. Um, We see voice as kind of, and I'll stop, but we'll see voice as this sort of universal interface that actually exists both in physical space in in homes and in and in uh, other physical venues in mobile space like cars but also we think in some respects it could be a very useful interface in the meta world as well and it may be sort of the one interface that you can use almost universally so we we think it's funny that a hundred thousand year old interface like voice is uh, just as relevant today as it was a hundred thousand years ago. Well, you don't need anything else to make it go, right? <laughs> like like if you're the operator, so to speak, uh, quote unquote. Well, you know, I I like to say there's a lot of beautiful things about voice. Um, you know, it's certainly very mobile, and you don't have to be stuck in front of a screen or whatever. It's also very demographically democratic, so it's very interesting At usage of voice is actually higher in 65 and above than it is in the uh, in the teen years, which is a very unusual example of a new technology that's been adopted more rapidly by older demographics. And I think it's for obvious reasons because the interface. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Space is so easy. The other thing is, I mean, I find uh, what people find surprising is, um, and why I call it the unheard channel, I mean, obviously, Metaverse is very hot. We're It's the highest growth area for us, for sure. But yes, last year, maybe there was about $2 billion in, in commerce on, in Metaverse. Uh, now I'm putting gaming aside, of course, traditional gaming. Voice had about a, did about 40 billion in voice commerce last year. So people don't realize it's actually it's actually becoming a, an important part of a customer experience. And I think we're just beginning. I mean, I think it's similar to when we got um, the web. Everyone needed a website. Then the mobile phone came. Everyone needed us a smartphone app. I think everyone's going to need a voice app. Every brand and uh, and very few of them have one today. So it's uh, we think it's kind of an untapped area for marketing and for brands to exist. And you'd really you do want to have a presence there because it's sort of like the two most important avatars in the world are not in the metaverse. They're Alexa and Siri. And uh, they answer questions about your brand every day. So either you're going to have some influence over that or you're not. I mean, Alexa is very powerful. You know, I mean, a million people proposed to Alexa last year. You know, so <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> just think what she might, might be able to sell her. You know, sell through her. So, so anyway, I kind of, I kind of like to have fun with voice because I think it tends to be a little bit get less press and coverage than some of the other stuff. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but I, I the the facts don't lie, right? I mean, uh, almost twenty times the size in in commerce between that and the metaverse using the numbers you just threw. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I didn't know it was that big. Well, you're again, it feels like uh, you go from frog to journey. You're now at the at the intersection of what's hot, really, in, in next generation, like customer experiences and just experiences overall. How do you obviously you see voice as something that might unify all of these components, but do you see a future like how all of these modalities virtual and physical evolve over time or is it is it too early to to say something like that at this point? I think Alan that is the 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 trillion dollar question right um the and the truth is I don't have any better answer than anyone else I mean I do think that there's a couple things you can kind of rely on one is that the technology related to metaverse and the convergence of gaming in the metaverse means that you're just over time going to have more and more high fidelity, more immersive, engaging experiences. I think that's kind of a given. And I think that if you have those experiences and people spending a lot of time, there's obviously ways from a business model point of view to monetize that. But I kind of use the analogy of dot-com because I was there right in the middle of it at Idea Lab. And there's a lot of things uh, you weren't that weren't necessarily obvious at the time. I mean, at Idea Lab, we launched about 12 different commerce sites, everything from furniture to jewelry to books and records and so forth, because we thought each of these categories deserved its own website. And that's how people would buy. Of course, at the same time, Amazon was being built. And who would have guessed that you start selling books and then you sell records and before you know it, you know, you're selling, I don't know, toilet paper, right? So it's really when you're in the middle of the frothiness and the craziness of these sort of revolutionary cycles, it's hard to see what is going to survive. I, another analogy I use is, and this shows my age, but back then we, at Ideal, we got very excited by Am I Hot or Not, which was a stupid little app that... Um, 
you put put up people's pictures and then other people can vote one to 10 on whether or not they're hot. Okay. Now this seems silly, but it got a lot of viewers. Now that would provided the inspiration to Mark Zuckerberg up at Harvard to do some, a version of that, which ultimately became Facebook. So I don't know if something like that AI program that you can put a phrase in and it shows you pictures of things, you know, that reminds me of am I hot or not? And that may be in, in the germ of that idea might be the next big thing in, in metaverse, for example. So I just believe that it's going to be, I do agree with the analysts that say it's going to be multi-trillion dollar market in 10 years. Uh, one analyst recently said a third of the traditional agency business, WPPs and so forth, a third of that will be metaverse and 3.0 related in five years. That might be a little quick, but I, I mean, I think it's going to be big. And some use cases like media and entertainment concerts and so forth are starting to already show returns and audience, uh, huge audiences. I just think it's early days. It's like the wild, wild west. It's pretty exciting for sure. And that, the, I don't know if this is the technology you're referencing, but the, I've run across this a few times when I'm talking to folks about evolution of technology. This technology, GPT-3, the AI-driven technology is the best way I can describe it. But it does everything from, it can write, the most famous example I've seen is an avatar of Steve Jobs, a GPT-3 Steve Jobs answering questions about himself and making up answers to new questions that have never been asked before, which seem enlightening very similar to what Steve Jobs might have said. <laughs> it's fascinating, but that I believe that's also the algorithm or, or AI component that's also doing some of the new generation of art as well from a visual standpoint. Well, just to confuse, yeah, just to confuse your users, your your I'm sorry, your audience even more. There's, for example, a little outfit out here in San Francisco called Mid Journey, Mid Journey, which is a platform where you can go to go to it on Discord and and put in some sort of phrase. You know, I put in something like, what does journey look like? And it actually creates these beautiful representations of what a journey looks like. And you kind of take something like that and TikTok and the creator community. And before you know it, you just have this massive AI driven engine of creativity that can get capture a lot of audience. So, I mean, it's uh, the wild, wild west or the dot com sort of thing. I mean, these are some of the things I refer to in trying to say, okay, no, I think it's hard for some people, particularly very senior corporate executives, which is who we work with. They do kind of uh, say, I mean, one of them, I obviously won't say who, but one uh, CEO of a very large retailer said, Andy, what the hell? Well, it's more graphic than this, but what the hell is the metaverse and what the hell should I do about it? You know, and this is one of the largest retailers in the world. So, and I can appreciate, I mean, one day you think this is the future, the next day you have a crypto crash and so on. So, but that's the way it was back in dot com. You know, people were burning through hundreds of millions of dollars and, and closing down, but that's when Facebook and Google and Amazon were created. Well, it's, you, you've got to, I mean, it- Regardless of no one can predict the future, but <laughs> you've got to diversify your investments, right? You've got to play a portfolio, if you will, of bets on the table. And it definitely seems like if not going full head into this space, you have to at least have a couple bets placed. Voice, to your point, is a no-brainer. Decisions, commerce decisions are already being made. And being siphoned, if you will, by those little speakers in our houses to one brand or another because some people are engaging and some people aren't. So I can only imagine it's going to be even bigger when you've got 
Discord and Metaverse and other gaming apparatus that are uh, also decentralized, to your point, that's a whole new game. It's going to be even harder for corporate executives, I think, to wrap their brain around since we've always been in kind of this control and push space, if you will. The, I think the creator economy, if you will, influencers and the like was a, a give and take, but still somebody controlled the megaphone <laughs> in the Discord environment and, and you know, other distributed communities, it's it's going to be even more important to try to build tribes and followers, if you will, which is different. Very different. No, it's it's hard. And, and you know, it's funny working with the brands, um, you know, you kind of have to take them through a bit of a tutorial that in these uh, new worlds, you have to show some brand flex. You want to go in a Roblox environment and your Maserati, you know, you're just going to have to put up with something that's a, a very different looking Maserati than you've ever seen. And, you know, it's funny. And then even in terms of communication and community, it's almost like communism or something, right? I mean, like old, old, old fashioned communism, not, you know, but, but just basically the idea is the people, you know, the people control uh, things. And so you as a brand have to, you know, accept that and, and be willing to be part of it. And, um, you know, I, I think that's very hard for for a large traditional brand. I mean, I, I admire Nike that, you know, did some really innovative stuff in, in Roblox. And then, of course, now has in some of their destination stores a physical representation of that Roblox uh, metaverse that they created. So that, you know, is further blurring. And I think we're going to see a lot of that sort of blurring between, you know, the physical, the immersive and the virtual. And there's some, you know, I, I admire, I mean, Gucci's done some, you know, some of the, some of the really high end fashion brands have been willing to experiment. And people say, well, you have a Roblox. I mean, it just, it looks like a cartoon. It's like, yeah, but it's a cartoon that has millions and millions of viewers. You know, I mean, order of magnitude more than, than a, than a meta horizons world and growing, probably adding more users of viewers a month than meta as in a year. So you got to go where the audience is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. We've had um, a couple of folks on the show and oddly the one, the examples I'm thinking of are coming from like these crossovers between music industry and brands. So like an example, this isn't exactly a music to crossover, but the examples came through, through a person from Sony music who has done a lot of work with big name artists, but she was looking at fashion brands like I guess Balenciaga and some of the work that they're doing and kind of pushing themselves into these like <laughs> really edge territories, but they're getting good results. And to your point about bringing those virtual environments like Roblox into the Nike physical store, I mean, my daughter who's 14 and plays, you know, has historically played Roblox for many years, would love to go take a selfie in front of that stuff, you know? And it just reinforces that the community, the community is there. It's just a matter of like, how does a brand work with inside the confounds of a community they don't control and they're going to have to give up control to, to play? It's interesting. Now, I see on the other on the other side with meta, the meta platform and with things like Unreal, which is owned by Epic, which also owns Fortnite. That's sort of a scenario where Fortnite obviously has a tremendous community and audience as well. But the Epic announced uh, this year, you know, earlier this year that they will they are coming out with a version of Unreal with some tools attached to it that will allow you to easily recreate a Unreal developed experience in Fortnite Creative. Now, for those people who have never heard of Unreal, you know, it's it's probably one of the dominant platforms for building very high fidelity 3D experiences. And this is used by architects and car manufacturers and everybody. 
So you're going to have potentially by the end of the year, the opportunity to build very realistic, very high fidelity uh, gaming experiences, you know, in, in like the Fortnite creative platform. And then of course, meta, you know, it does well, but of course it's, it's headset dependent. So, you know, it's going to be very, we're in the middle of a platform of war here and it's just not clear, you know, who, and you know, Apple hasn't really shown their hand yet. So this is going to be fascinating. I mean, it's a good time to be in the consulting agency business <laughs> because we're in the, you know, journey is independent. We partner with all these platforms, but we don't have, you know, we don't have a, uh, a stake in the winners and losers. And it's going to be bloody. I mean, I mean, there's going to be a lot, there's a lot of money being spent and we probably have more platforms already than we need. I love it. Well, more to come. And we'll, we'll have to have you back on as this space evolves, if you're up for it. I'd love to. And, you know, I also would offer up, Alan, I mean, I've got uh, uh, Kathy Hackle, who's called, referred to as a godmother of the metaverse, um, you know, one of the leading experts. You know, Brandon Kaplan, who's the founder of my voice agency, can talk circles around me in terms of how important voice is. And then Lionel Byan, Ohioan, who's a founder of iCrave, who started out uh, doing nightclubs in uh, the meatpacking district of Manhattan. That's where he made his name. And now he's, uh, you know, doing air- airport terminals and, and uh, continues to do nightclubs, but, he, but does things like hospitals, you know, recreating the experience in a, in a hospi- hospital as well. So, uh, I, you know, I'm surrounding myself with, with a really, you know, it's just a really innovative kind of leading edge team working with some leading edge brands. It's very exciting. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to check in from time to time, see how things unfold. Well, you know, you've been on the show before we like to kind of like turn the, turn the table a little bit, stop talking as much about business. And I typically ask this question, you know, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? But I want to point people back again to our last episode where we had a very fun conversation and I think enlightening moment around, you know, spiritual awakening or and spirituality, which we actually started off this conversation about with your book Journey, which is also kind of along that that pathway the Paul character in the book has as well. So I won't repeat that question, but I will ask you if there's a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about today or uh, you're trying to learn more about yourself. I think we kind of covered it, but I, I'm really intrigued by the idea of, and, and this is a horrible way to describe it, but the ultimate automation of creativity, because uh, automation is the wrong word. But I do think we're moving into a place where there'll be tools, AI-driven and otherwise, um, that are just going to accelerate the ability to create. Now, that does not does not diminish the need for good storytelling, for good plot, for good character, you know, whatever it is, whether it's physical space or whatever. But I think um, while maybe 10 years ago, the idea was learn to code. If you want to know you have a job, I think I still think that's probably the number one thing to learn if you want to always have a job. But I think there's just going to be a lot more jobs in the creative space. And then coming from Frog and even with Journey, I just think that's really exciting for those of us that you know, I'm a storyteller and a lot of people journey are visual artists and so forth, uh, storytellers, uh, video, you know, people, video production and so forth. And I think there's just going to be an opportunity, ironically, with the help of, of these automation type tools to just, you know, hyper creativity. And boy, you know, if you're a brand or a company, I mean, in one, in one sense, it's very exciting, but boy, it's just going to be harder and harder to, you know, break out and uh, do something genuinely, you know, innovative and new. So I think that's going to be one of the challenges that 
the threshold for great creative work is just going to keep rising. No, I, I totally agree. And I mean, not to go back to this whole GPT-3 thing, but I had one online friend who had basically given over his Twitter account to a little program he had created using that algorithm. And uh, I started liking a bunch of his tweets and I didn't catch the gist that that's what he was doing. He was experimenting. There were a couple that were just kind of really insightful, I thought. And I wrote like a message, a direct message him back. And I was like, I, this was really insightful. And he was like, great. It wasn't me. <laughs> you know, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, I missed the, I missed the change. But then more recently, and I don't know what she was using, a friend of mine actually from high school, which is crazy enough, but was on Facebook and she's a visual artist and has played around in like multimedia and many different mediums over the years. But she posted some beautiful pictures that looked similar to stuff that she's done in the past, but it was driven by an AI tool of some sort was she was just directing. So, you know, no hand lay, you know, she never laid a hand on it in, in, in the traditional sense. And I was like, this is crazy, but it, it's a whole, I can't even, it's hard to conceptualize how you would create as an artist in partnership with an, you know, a machine, if that makes sense, but it's, it's, it's happening. Yeah. I think the, the other, just one other thought Alan, now that I'm thinking about it is I think what is purposeful is going to evolve because of this idea of community and identity. Brands, companies, you know, it's it's a harder navigation than you have today. That just you you brought up a couple, you know, ideas. Oh, I didn't know I was talking to a computer. You know, I, you basically, you know, in some of these worlds, you have no idea who you're talking to. And yes, like any technology, there's there's equally opportunity for abuse as well as opportunities for good things to happen. And so. That's another sort of and being purposeful, you know, also, you know, is going to be more community driven than brand driven. So I think that's going to be a, a complex and, you know, somewhat risky thing for brands because um, you want the audience, but who's in the audience and then who's really in the audience? You know what I mean? So it's just going to be. And I, I don't know that I, I think like most, uh, I mean, you know, obviously in social now we're seeing as it matures, we're seeing a lot of bad things coming out of it. I think it's going to be very similar uh, in the sort of meta 3.0 world as well. Yes, the potential for good and evil exists in in all worlds that we create. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, last question, because we, we've already talked about one of my questions. Uh, I think we used a bunch of examples and things to take notice of. Last question for you today. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers? I think that the threat is just, you know, applying traditional thinking to these new worlds being created. And there's just a lot of examples, you know, in, in the dot-com era where, well, you know, look at retail. I mean, you know, just the Sears of the world just completely missed the boat. So I, I think the threat is that you just, um, you miss the boat on the, on the next wave. Um, that's why you have to be out there, experiment, discover, even if you don't have the financial returns initially. And then I think the opportunity, frankly, is highest for startup, for, for new, you know, for entrepreneurs and creators people, because I just think there's going to be more channels and more choice and uh, more reach that's not dependent on being the biggest, uh, you know, brand out there. So I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial opportunity for the, the early stage uh, brands. And then I think for the mature ones, it's almost a more of a don't miss the boat here because we have a lot of, you know, dinosaurs out there that, you know, didn't, didn't make the transition. 
the last time. Yeah. Don't be a dinosaur if you're big brain listening to this. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always enjoy these conversations and um, I, I cannot wait until the next book comes out. Well, thank you, Alan. I enjoy it as well. And uh, thanks for mentioning Journey the Book and Journey the Company. And if you're not, if the listener's not confused by now, um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, no, I really enjoyed this. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.